0: Good morning, everyone. Good seeing all of you here this morning. Those of you who are online, we're glad that you're here with us. We certainly do miss your presence, but you're glad. We're glad that you're here with us, certainly in in spirit as you've joined with us in worshiping God. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, it may be that this is maybe the first time you've ever uh, visited a Church of Christ, and if that's so. Uh, you probably are, uh, have witnessed some things that are maybe a little bit different than you are used to. It may be that you notice that we don't use any instruments, that we sing a cappella with just our voices only. You may have uh, thought a little bit about the Lord's Supper that we gathered around as we remember Jesus. And uh, maybe you have never thought about the significance of what the bread is about or what the fruit of the vine is about. Maybe something I'll say in the sermon this morning that will prick some interest in you and cause you to ask some questions, and if that's so, in any of those areas, certainly feel free to talk to me after services, and I'll try to give you an answer for the reasons that we do, some of the things we do, or maybe I can point you to someone that can, or maybe we can sit down and study it together. Anyway, we're glad that you are here with us this morning. Let me just make the congregation here aware of a couple of things. Number one, February the 4th at 8.30, we're going to have... A congregational uh, prayer time together. Uh, I'd really like to encourage you to uh, be here for that. You know, prayer is an incredibly powerful um, avenue and tool that God has given us to, uh, uh, to come to him and to ask for his assistance and to be with us as we uh, strive to do the things that God would have us to do, whether we're talking about our families or whether we're talking about worship or life itself. Let me encourage you to participate in, in that, that meeting. And then this is for the men. This is like 60 days away, but there's going to, we're going to have our men's uh, gathering. And so it's a Treasure Valley uh, men's rally that we're going to have. And so it's not just our congregation. We're going to invite sister congregations as well, the men, to come for that day. Chris McCurley is going to be with us and is going to be sharing some things about how uh, to fight the good fight as Christian men. And so let me encourage you men to be signing up for that and be asking your friends and and inviting them to come and uh, participate in uh, this uh, day of rallying for the the men here. And then, of course, this is way out there, a ways back, all the way way, uh, forward in June, and and that is our Mountain States Children's Home Trip. We normally take anywhere from 30 to 50 people along there, a lot of uh, teenagers as well as chaperones. And so if you're interested in uh, being a part of this incredible uh, effort, then let me encourage you to let uh, Jared McCormick know. He's the one that will be leading that effort, and it's going to be a, a great time uh, for those who go for that. So let me encourage you to remember those dates, June 23 through 30, and let Jared know if you're interested in, in going to that. So some of you might have watched this series of movies called Back to the Future. It's really is an oxymoron when you think about it. Back to the, I'm not sure how you do that exactly, but Back to the Future it was a really popular series of movies that began back in 1985. That's like 38 years ago and yet it's still a very popular movie series you say well how do you know it's a popular series because they don't rerun these things on tv number one on syndicated tv you can't find them on venues like netflix or uh, amazon prime or those kinds of streaming services that are out there you can find back to the future i think on amazon prime but you have to rent it or you have to buy it so that tells you that it is still popular and just not something that's really accessible the premise behind Back to the Future is pretty incredible. Uh, you know, Michael J. Fox he plays uh, Marty McFly, and Christopher Lloyd he plays Doc. And Doc creates a, a, a time machine, or a, in the form of a DeLorean car, which was pretty back in that day. And and Marty he he comes onto it, and he ends up traveling back in time. And and when he travels back in time, he travels back in the time when his parents were teenagers. And as he's witnessing what his mom and his future mom and dad are are like, he, he discovers why his parents in his present time, before going back in the past, he, he finds out why they're kind of nerdy. He finds out why they are not very uh, 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 great achievers. He finds out why they didn't have a lot of self-esteem. And he sees those things. And as a result of him going back in time, he's able to influence their lives so that when he ends up going back from the past back into the future or to his present, his parents are now cool parents. They're these great parents. And so Marty McFly is given the gift of knowing what his parents or what his lineage really is about. And I thought to myself, as we get into this series of Knowing Jesus, I thought, wouldn't it be good for us to go back in the past? And when I say going back in the past, I'm talking about going. Way back in the past. I'm talking about going back in the past before Jesus was born in in Bethlehem, back to his pre-existence. That's going way, way, way back there. Way back beyond even what we're able to really uh, understand as human uh, beings. And so I thought to myself, you know, if we're going to know who Jesus is and what Jesus is about... And how I can have this great relationship with him. Maybe it's good for us to know how incredible he really is. How powerful he really is. Why he has such great authority and knowing about his past, I think, will help us better to appreciate him and appreciate how he can make our lives even better and how he's capable of making our lives abundant in every way and not just abundant in this life, but in the life that is to come beyond our physical life. And so I want us to go back, if you will, and we're going to go back by looking at John, the first chapter and see if you will open your Bibles or your electronic device is to John chapter 1 we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 18 verses 1 through 18 by scholars say that it is the prologue of, of John and so what John is going to do in the first 18 verses he's, he's going to try to establish the deity of Christ he's going to help us to understand how Christ is divine so what do we mean by deity we're talking about a divine character Or nature that is referred to as God that transcends us being just human. So we're talking about Jesus being God. Now the way John does this is John is going to present to us in these 18 verses, he's going to present to us five things. He's going to reveal some things about Jesus that establishes him as divine or as, as God, to help us to appreciate the magnitude of what Jesus coming to this world really is a, about. And so what he does is it's almost like stepping into a time tunnel, if you will, and going way back into the past, all the way back before anything e- existed, back into eternity's past. I'm talking about before man, before the creation of the Word. I'm talking about uh, before the universe was created. I'm talking about before time itself existed before there were nanoseconds or seconds or minutes or, or or hours or days or weeks or months or decades or millenniums or anything before any kind of time existed john is going to present jesus as one who lived or was way back then All the way back into the past. And so he reveals Jesus as the Son of God in eternity's past. And he begins by John chapter 1 and verse 1. Look at what it says, if you would, please. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Make the connection between Word and God. The Word was in the beginning with God. And the Word in the beginning with God was God. Look at verse 14. I know you know some of these things, but let, just as a reminder. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Obviously, John, the apostle, is writing about Jesus Christ. And he is putting him clear back into eternity's past. In other words, he's saying that Jesus was pre-existence. And what that says is, is two things. Number one, that Jesus' existence has always been. Think about Moses as he goes back to, or he finds himself in a meeting and going before a burning bush. And he's looking at the burning bush, and he is identified as being on holy ground And then he's speaking to God through this burning bush. And God does tell them that you're going to be a messenger for me, that you're going to help deliver the children of Egypt out of bondage. And Moses questioned him and says, who do I say that you are? If I'm to go on your part, who do I say you are? And he says, tell them I am that I am. What does that mean? That means I am, I've always been. I don't have a beginning. I don't have an end. I'm not, I'm the alpha, the omega. I have always been. When you get into the Gospel of John itself, you'll notice that these words, I am, it's called the ego and me, the I am is all through, shot through the Gospel of John. I am the light of the world, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the bread of life. Over and over again, Jesus is going to be proclaiming that. And guess what? Those who are listening to him, those who are listening to his teachings, they're going to recognize that. And they're going to recognize that he is making a connection between himself and, and God. Jesus is telling them that I have always been that I am God. So his beginning was not at his conception or, or birth, but it reaches back into the distant past or back into eternity. And even that sentence, as I was writing it, I thought to myself, that really doesn't say it correctly because he doesn't have a beginning. And that blows our minds as human beings because everything to us has a beginning. And so the big question that people ask of God or of Jesus is this, when do they begin? If there was a God... How did he begin? How did he start? And I don't know how to answer that question. Because the Bible simply says, I am that I am. All the way back in eternity, that's where you find Jesus. And so his birth in Bethlehem was not of his origin, only his incarnation. In, in, Oswald, in Oswald Sanders' book, The Incomparable Christ, he makes that statement there. And I thought about that statement and I said, man, that is so true. Because what he's saying is that Jesus, the man, is different from any other human being in history because of the fact that his person does not begin with his birth. The only exception. Everyone else has a beginning and a conception with a mother and a father, and their beginning begins with our birth. All of us in here are like that. All human beings are like that except Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is talking about his incarnation, him becoming flesh, but he has always then there was an ancient writing that was inscribed on marble in latin it says i am what i was god i was not what i am man and now uh, and i am now called both god and man jesus is the god man he was god in eternity he takes on human flesh and he becomes a man but he is the god man he doesn't reduce or release any of that in becoming a human being when you get into the scriptures, you'll notice both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, over and over again, it talks about Jesus' eternity. In fact, as this passage in Micah, the fifth chapter and verse 2, is a messianic passage, if you will. And notice what it says. But as for you, Bethlehem of Ephrath, too little to me among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. You see, I mean, from the days of eternity. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Look at Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You see his eternity there. John, the first chapter and verse 15 that we'll look at a little bit later. John bore witness of him. John is John the Baptist. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has of a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Or later on, He'll say in John 1, verses 29 and 30, the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he who on, uh, on behalf of whom I said, after me comes one that is of higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Now, you notice that I've got down at the lower part of the screen, Luke chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. This is Elizabeth visiting with... Uh, Mary and Mary tells Elizabeth that she has conceived, and the baby in uh, Elizabeth's, or the baby in Elizabeth's room leaps, and John is born. He's well, not that present moment, but he's born, and and he is born 15 months before Jesus. He's Jesus' cousin. Okay, so he's born 15 uh, months before Jesus is born in in his flesh. But notice what John says twice, he existed before me. Okay, that's what it says. Jesus himself makes that same claim. Open your Bibles, if you will, over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. In this section, Jesus has been accused of being um, empowered by Beelzebub or by the devil, which Jesus takes exception to, And, and he's in this running discourse with the Pharisees. Well, if you look down at verse, let's just start with verse 54. It says, Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I, do not know, that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. For the Jews said to him, you are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am I mean, think about it. Abraham is born 2,000 years, two millenniums, before Jesus comes to the earth. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. That's incredible. And the result of that is, is it says, therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and then went out of the temple. They know what he's saying. They know that he is claiming to be in connection or having a strong relationship with God. That he's calling God his Father, and not only that, he's saying that he's preexistent. He's saying, "I am God. I am that I am. I have always been." And that blows their mind because that's not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to go that away. Over in Hebrews, the eighth chapter or first chapter, verses eight through twelve, there are God uh, speaking about. Uh, about Jesus, it's, it's, it is a quote from Psalm 45, but here in this section of, of Scripture, he says these things about uh, Jesus. Just listen to what it says. John, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse, uh, verse 8, we'll start. But of the Son, he says, this is God speaking, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Did you see what's going on here? God is telling us that Jesus is God, that the Messiah is God. Therefore, God, thy God, God, Jesus, thy God, the Father, has said this about you. So so God declares Jesus as God or as the pre-existent one. And then I think probably a classic passage is philippians the uh, second chapter verses six through eight where it begins by saying have this attitude in yourself which was also in christ jesus who although he existed in the form of god did not regard equality with god a thing to be grasped that is he didn't count it robbery he didn't have to grab hold of it because he knows who he is didn't have it a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of a man that's in human form the italics there that's my words okay And being found in the appearance of of a man, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God hath highly exalted him. What what Paul is saying and recognizing and communicating is that Jesus is God. He is the God-man. He is the Son of God. So that's the first thing that John reveals to us, is he reveals Jesus' preexistence. Number two, he reveals the Son of God at creation look at verses 2 and 3 of John again verses 2 and 3 of John chapter 1 and he that is the word was in the beginning with God all things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being in him was life and life was the light of of men so there are two salient facts that are that uh, regard Christ's deity his divinity his godness and that's this, number one, is Christ himself was not created. Contrary to what, say, Mormonism, or what the Jehovah Witness teaches, that he is a created being, Jesus is not a created being. He is the creator of all things. And that's what John is saying here. He is the creator of everything. All things were created uh, by him. The Father was the architect. The Son was the agent, assisted even by the Holy Spirit. And you can see that in verse 10 of this same section that we have read. And then over in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, there you see, once again, this idea that Paul is telling the Colossians about, that Jesus is the pre-existent one or the creator of all things. Listen to what he says, Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Let's start with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were, were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and all things are held together or sustained by him. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying that God, or that Jesus, is preexistent. And that not only is he that, he is the creator of everything that you see around you. Notice that he says in verse 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was God. He's the Word. What do words do? Well, words communicate. What do they communicate things? Well, some things are set out and some things are revealed from the Word. But if you were going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, Words communicate. Jesus is the creator of the world. Listen to what the book of Genesis says about the beginning in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God there, interesting for you to know, is in the English, it's used in a singular form. In the Hebrew in which your Bible was written, that word God there is used in the plural form. It's Elohim. It it could easily be translated gods, but they knew that would hurt your brain. So they didn't do it. So listen to what it says. In the beginning, and you'll see why when we get down to verse 26. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. Okay, the Word. This is the Logos. This is the one who speaks. Jesus is the creator of the world. He speaks the world into existence. And God said, let there be light and there was light. Look at verse 6. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the, uh, the earth. Look at verse 9. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens gather together into other places. And then, uh, look at verse 11. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetations and plants and yielding seed and fruit trees, etc. Look at verse 14. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Look at verse 20. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heaven." Look at verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Jesus is all over the place speaking the world into existence. He is the Logos. He is the Word. Look at verse 26. This is where it gets personal. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. The earth was made for us, not us for the world. Look at verse 27. Then God said, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created him. Did you see the nuances there? Did you see that in verse 26, let us, it's in the third person personal pro, or the plural personal pronoun, let us make man in our image. Who is doing the creating here? You have God the Father, it's in the creation. You have the Holy Spirit who's moving over the face of the deep. You have Jesus Christ speaking the world into existence. They are the creators. He is the creator of the world. And then notice he says, and God made man in his own image. Now you have a singular from plurality to a singular. There is a oneness about this triune God that existed and has always existed. Clear back into eternity's past. John 1 verses 4 and 5. John 1 verses 4 and uh, and 5. Notice what he says here. In him, that's Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So there he moves from talking about Jesus' creative power of the world and everything in it to talking about his saving power. And he uses one dynamic element that is packed with a tremendous amount of power and emphasis, and that is the word life. In him was life. That means that Jesus is the source of all life, the source of all life physical. He spoke it into existence, but not only is the source of all life uh, physically, he is the source of all life spiritually speaking. I am the light of the world. I give life to whom I will give life. And he's not talking about biology. He's talking about a higher quality of life that John uses over and over again when he talks about life called zoe, Life And so when Jesus says you, uh, that I came, that you might have life. Not biological, life, that you might come have life. Higher quality of both now and in eternity, an abundance of it. So if you, if you come to Jesus looking for a philosophy, well, Jesus is not a philosophy. He's not a way of life. He's a person. And because we come to know that person in an intimate kind of way... He's able to shed light into our lives, make us become light ourselves, to light up the the world, and we walk away with our lives full of the abundance of what life is about that goes beyond the trouble, that goes beyond the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in. He is that light. There's a prologue then, and in the prologue, verses uh, 6 and following, uh, John takes a moment to make a a strong distinction between John the Baptist and Jesus, okay? And so he lets them know that there's a difference. That John was the messenger. John the Baptist was the messenger. Jesus is the Messiah. And then he talks about the next thing, and he talks about light. Well, what does light do? Well, light reveals. And so light originated with Christ. It originates all the way back in Genesis 1 and verse 3, and God said, let there be light. So light originates with Christ light cannot be overpowered by darkness verse 5 tells us light is unique there was a true light and that true light was not John that true light was Jesus Christ and that this light is universally available to all human beings and that enlightens every soul that's the potential that is there okay so how how do we make sense of this and I, and I kind of was struggling as I was writing the lesson What's a way I could illustrate it to you? And and I thought, well, okay, Idaho Power. Idaho Power is a great utility company that offers electricity in order that you might switch the lights on in your house. That is something that is offered to every person in our area. That power is offered to us. But it doesn't mean we have to take it. It means that we can shun it or, or reject it. Well, in the same way, Jesus comes in the world and he offers light to enlighten every heart that draws near to him. But what he's saying is that he can light up your life no matter how dark it might be. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So he can take a bad day and make it into a good day, spiritually speaking. He can take hopelessness and give hope helplessness helplessness and give strength or or power uh, to move on in our our lives so that's the second thing here's the third thing jesus is the son of god on earth look at verses 10 through 13 he was in the world that's jesus he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him he came to his own and those who were all his own did not receive him but as many as received him received him to them he gave the right to become the children of god even to those who believe in his name he who was born uh, who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh nor of the will of man but of of god so what does that mean uh, to us well The first thing is, I think, is that Jesus, he offers himself to everyone without exception. Just like Idaho Power offers light to anyone, electricity to anyone who wants it, without exception, in our area anyway, he he offers, well, Jesus offers that to all of us. He offers himself to all of us. But he's shunned by many. And that's what it says. He came to his home. But they didn't receive him. He's probably talking about the Jewish nation. He came to his own. They didn't receive him. He goes, but as many as come to him, all that come to him. Now that goes beyond the Jewish people to all people, to you and me. His life is offered to all of us, but a lot of times people shun him or they reject him. The question might be, well, okay, well, why do people reject Jesus? Look at John chapter 3, if you will, and notice verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So Jesus is the light, and it's offered to all men. But here's the problem with light. Light's function is to reveal. Light's function is to illuminate. And what he says about Jesus is that his light is so strong that it exposes us for who we are. It exposes us for what we are. And that bothers people. We, you know, The truth is that people like their darkness. A lot of people like their sin. And Jesus cramps their style. Seldom is Jesus ever attacked in public though. Today anyway. Christians are attacked. But understand Christians are motivated. And we do what we do. We act as we act. We think as we think. We do, we, you know, we do as we do because of what. We're told about from Scripture and that we are followers of Jesus Christ and what a Christian is, a Christ follower. That's what a disciple is. And we're to let our light shine. And people don't like that. And so people like their darkness. Uh, However, that doesn't mean that everybody rejects Jesus. I mean, think about the Bible's full of them. Think about the woman at the well of Samaria, the Samaritan woman of John chapter 4. Or how about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, given a whole ch- new chance in life. He wanted to stonering killer, and he gives her a second chance to live life. Or the lone blind man in John the 9th chapter, <clears throat> that Jesus heals of his blindness. Once again, being free from darkness to see light all uh, about him. And what I'm saying to you is that Jesus has gone from candle to candle and has touched every wick of people who are downtrodden by the tragedies of, of life and given them a new chance. And he turns them from being darkened to that which is light and they become the lights of the world. And that happens to so many. In fact, if you're a Christian, that's what happened to you. Is Jesus has touched your candle and your wick and has brightened it and made it come alive and has lighted the world that is a- around you. That's what the Son of God did. John, fourthly, reveals the Son of God incarnate. Uh, We've already looked at the passage of Scripture, but it doesn't hurt, I guess, to look at it once again. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. If you go over in 1 John, the first chapter, John will say there, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have handled with our hands, what we have experienced... In Jesus in his flesh. He was alive. Okay. He says that the begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. John testified about him. That's John the Baptist. testified about him crying. This is of whom I said. He who comes, uh, after, comes after me. Has a higher rank than I. For he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received grace upon uh, grace. What does incarnate mean? It just simply means to become flesh. God becomes flesh. Man, that's the incredible part of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. God came in the flesh in the form of an as an infant. First Timothy 2 and verses 5 through 6 is an interesting passage that I think helps us understand that when Jesus came into this world, he came into this world for the purpose of saving the world. That's why he came. And that's what's said over in Matthew 1 and verse 23. He came to save his people from his sins. Luke 19 and 10, Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came to be the savior of the world, but something else. He came as a mediator. And that's what 1 John, First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 says. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I like the way one writer put it, and so I copied it for you to take a look at it. It says, Jesus was a man, but more than just a man. Jesus was God, but more than God, he was a man. As a man, he identified with our human plight and war with sin and could represent us before God the Father. That's what a mediator does, right? It represents two parties. As God, he was able to bear our sins and become the perfect sacrifice to appease God the Father. 1 John 2 and verse 2 says, Verse 1 says, My little children, do not sin, but if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, a go between the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for those of the world. He is the go-between. I like the way Malcolm Muldred put it. He put it this way. He says, as man alone, he could not have saved us. As God alone, he would not, because of our sin obviously, incarnate the Son of Man, he could and did. Jesus is it's so important to understand that about who he is. And then finally, and we'll start wrapping up, the Son of God explained the Father. In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God. What does the word do? The word communicates. Verse 14 says the word become flesh. Look at verse 18 now. Verse 18. John is wrapping up his prologue. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That word who was God? Who became flesh? Verse eighteen says, "The only begotten of the Father. No man has ever seen God. The only begotten has, and He has explained us to us." Let me just tell you something about this word "only begotten" or "begotten." That word there is an interesting word. That word is a word. It's the word "word What does that mean? "Monogenes" means one of a kind, a unique one, never to be repeated. So when he talks about being begotten, he's not talking about God begetting Jesus or creating Jesus. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that Jesus is uniquely different from any other human being in his nature, okay? It's not like my family. In my family, Richard Sutton's family, my dad's name was Richard Sutton. He has, two, he has a daughter and four, and four sons, okay? And so my dad begot Barbara Ann. My dad begot Ronald Gary. My dad begot Lester Ray. My dad begot Jimmy Sutton, Richard Sutton, me. My dad begot Randy, uh, Bruce, okay? We're all Sutton's from that far. We were begotten by my, my dad. But that's not what this passage is saying. He's not saying he's begotten him like you would a son. He's saying the only begotten, the only unique one, the only one of a kind, he is the one who has explained him to us. So what do go- words do? Words communicate or express a thought. That word explained in your Bibles, you ought to underline. Because that word explained is a great word, exegiomai. It's the word where we get the English word to exegete. What does that mean? It means to draw out or to expound upon, to give a critical explanation or interpretation of a word, a phrase, or a subject. The subject that we're talking about is God. Jesus has explained God. He has exegeted God. He has critically uh, interpreted or explained God to us. And who better to explain God than God? And that's what Jesus does. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who was the Word, who became flesh, Jesus, who was in the bosom of the Father, he is has explained him he has always been with him and will always be with him now as the resurrected man seated at his right hand on the throne in heaven he is the invisible god uh, the god that we now see in flesh hebrews 1 and verse 18 he is the exact representation Some translations have the expressed image. Others have the exact imprint or stamp of God's very nature. That is Jesus. So we've traveled back to the past in our time tunnel, if you will. And what we've learned is that Jesus is eternal. That Jesus is the creator of the world. That Jesus is the source of life and light. That Jesus is God's manifested glory. And that he is the unique explanation of God. So are you tired from going in the past? I see some of you have fallen asleep. Not really. I don't think. I haven't seen you that well. But anyway. We've, so we've gone back in the past. And now back to the present. Now we're back in the present. And I hope by going back into eternity's past. We've been able to have a greater uh, appreciation for Jesus' power and His authority, His His grandeur, His His Majesty, and here's the biggest thing to me is that He wants to have anything to do with us. That He wants to have a relationship with us, and that His relation His drive to be related to us in an intimate kind of way uh, brought Him to the cross. And caused him for a time to be separated from his father. I I don't think I can get my mind around that. Nor can you. But that's what he has done uh, for us. That great passage of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the offer that's made. By the creator of everything. And by the one who died on the cross for you, that offer is given to us that we might not just know about him, but to know him in an intimate relationship with him. And you can do that this morning. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that you're willing to acknowledge that, that is confess that before uh, men, that Jesus is Christ, the resurrected one, repenting of your sins. That is, you just want to make a new change in your life, going a different direction from maybe where you've gone. Well, you can be baptized into Christ this morning for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to all creation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's pretty simple. On the day of Pentecost, when they said, what shall we do because of our sin? Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 did it on that day. I hope, that at least, if you need to do that today, you'll do so. But together we stand and sing and give you that opportunity.